Welcome to MicroCollege. This week on the podcast, we are really excited to have as our guest, Don Breeze, who is the co-founder and managing director of PlaceCore, which is uh, based in the Hudson Valley of upstate New York. Um, Dawn is a co-founder and the executive director of PlaceCore, and she's recognized as a change agent, community organizer, and an internationally awarded artist. She lives in Germantown, New York with her husband and teenager. She consults on creativity and leadership with global organizations and progressive institutions, as well as with individual entrepreneurs and leaders. Dawn is committed to developing collective good through creativity and progressive education. Founding projects include PlaceCore, Germantown Together, InStar Lodge, Wayfinding, and her curriculum, Creativity, uh, sorry, I'm missing that, <laughs> um, Voice of Curating, participating in expansive projects with art exhibitions. Dawn holds an MFA IA Interdisciplinary Arts from Goddard College, and twice was a Goddard Spirit recipient. Sorry, I missed maybe a piece of your 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 bio there. <laughs> Fill in any holes I may have missed. Yeah, no, the curriculum was called Creativity and Courage. Right. Thank you so much for being with us on the podcast today. Yes. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Yeah. I feel like um we you know we've talked a couple of times maybe in the past year, uh years, um, but um Thoreau College and PlaceCorps started about the same time. And I think there's some some interesting shared uh, kind of origin stories. Um, and I feel like we've been walking a path uh, in parallel for a while. So it's really fun to be able to check in with you and and, and hear what's been happening there uh, at, in PlaceCorps. Um, but first, we always start here on the MicroCollege podcast with uh, bio bi biography work. Um, and uh, so I'd like to, to ask you, Don, uh, if you could reflect back on your time when you were 18 to 21 years old, you know, young adult, what were you doing in that time in your life? What were what were the big influences and, and, and how has that shaped what you've done since? Yeah, um, thank you, Jacob. I think about this question often because when I was the age of our fellows at Place Corps, which is the 18 to 21, um, I was in many ways struggling um, to identify what I would want to be and do, how I would do it, um, where were the resources. And I I had already, at that point, had already sort of fallen into a non-traditional path um, because I had graduated high school early. I moved out and was self-supporting at 17. So I moved across the country to Colorado um, when I was 17 and I, only applied to two colleges, which was Cooper Union and Rhode Island School of Design. Um, with parents not really as involved in my life, um, the financial aid applications were not filled out. So I was accepted to Rhode Island School of Design, but didn't receive any financial aid, which made that impossible to attend. And um, I was waitlisted at Cooper. So I found myself in a position of like, okay, what am I gonna do? Um, and I still had a Massachusetts um, residency and I knew that Mass um, College of Art was a lot more affordable than any other schools. So I moved to Massachusetts and um, was working full time. And, and when I mean working full time, I mean like cocktail waitressing and waitressing at night. And I started going to adult, um, adult ed at night classes and then transferred in as a full-time student in the spring semester. 
But being again, like a pretty reckless teenager at this point and working hard um, to just pay the bills. Um, and, and I would say that I really was sort of, um, I don't know, I, I didn't feel very particularly hopeful for my future, I would say at this age. Um, and I, I, I just wasn't sure how I was going to be able to figure it out financially or professionally either. Um, and I, so then at, um, then I transferred in to being in the um, full-time, but I had this idea that I needed to be at like a, a top school or a best school if I was going to, you know, climb this ladder into some kind of career. So I thought I would transfer to Pratt. Um, so I applied to transfer to Pratt and I, and I, I wasn't paying very good attention to the quality that I was actually receiving at MassArt. And again, though, I want to be kind to my 20 year old self in this because I was also just, you know, living in a very um, scary neighborhood and, you know, just things were pretty rough then. And, um, you know, and then I ended up receiving a small settlement from a car accident where I was a passenger in it and decided to take a year off and um, pause on Pratt and go to Italy. And no one in my family had been across the country before, but I had a friend that was going to school there and had invited me to stay at her apartment. So that's what I did. So this is from 18 to 21. And then I moved to New York City. I met my husband when I was 20 in Italy and we moved to New York City. And between the two of us, we thought that we were gonna be fantastically set up because we had a thousand dollars saved between us. Um, and as you might imagine, even then that is not enough to be fantastically <laughs> set up. So so we, um, it was a very intense moment of scrambling and trying to figure that all out. And we found uh, an apartment that would take us with cash that was again in a terrible, terrible and terrifying neighborhood, um, but wasn't far from Pratt. And so we went there and um, and within a few weeks of being at Pratt, I just started recognizing that things were not adding up where um, at that time, the the I was in fashion and photography, and I started to calculate the hourly um, amount I would be paying in student loans to be in that class. And the class was having us um, just uh, pass around a, a piece of paper and then trace it. And then they did that for three weeks. And then on the fourth week, they were like, because you guys have worked so hard, um, we're going to go to Domsey's, which is a, a thrift store, as a field trip. And I was like, I am this poor girl that's living in a place that I can't go out at night. And I'm paying, you know, at that time in my mind, I think it calculated to $78 an hour per, you know, per class time hour. And I just sort of was like, this doesn't make sense. I should, um, I should withdraw from school and get a job in fashion across the river and learn through doing and get paid through, you know, to do what I, I'm thinking I want to do. And so that's what I did. So, um, you know, and it was a pretty quick happening, happened in the fall and then was able to get a job pretty quickly in the city. And then, you know, things sort of turned pretty quickly and I was able to, we were able to move across the river. So that's what I was doing. Um, and it was wild. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, that's that's such a powerful story. I mean, I think you know something that comes through in in you know I think following the story of Place Corps and um, you know and reading the materials that you have on your website now is like there's a real urgency to this work, right? Like a person, you know, like with an interest in the world, with a passion for the arts, like you had, you know, wanting to like you know find a way in 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 life. I think it's such a special quality of eighteen to twenty one year olds, these young adults that we we work with. Um, and running into the institutional structure that our society has set up at that age is very, very disheartening, very frustrating. I mean, absolutely. And I feel like I see it all over again now working with this age range because um, I think that we infil is infiltize, I don't know how to pronounce that word, um, this Infilize. age. Yeah. yeah. So there's this sort of like so many restrictions around them, you know, and then at the same time that we have all these restrictions around them, we expect them, some of them to just be able to fully be autonomous adults, um, but they don't have the resources that they need. And it just like all of the checks and balances kind of get out of whack, you know, and that's what I experienced when I was in New York too, where I was like, oh, I can't get a bank account because I don't have an address. Oh, I can't get a, a um, an address because I don't have a bank account. I can't get a job because I don't have any of those things. And, you know, and that's, you know, there's many people less privileged than me and like that much harder as well. So yeah, it's, it's, um it's a lot. And again, if you don't have parents that have set you up on this path, it's that much harder. And then at the same time, a lot of young people don't want to go on that path that their parents set up for them. So, yeah. Yeah. We because, need um, new, new ways. It, yeah. Even if you do have parents who, who are able to do that, you know, they they came up through education at a different time in history. And I think that I see that as well. Like the differences between the cost of education and the structure of education now is, is something that there's a generational gap that makes, you know, even those situations where a person does have support from the family, it's there can be barriers. But. Yeah, and I also think that, um, you know, because I, you know, I really believe in learning through doing, and at the same time, there's absolutely areas that need further advanced study, 100%. Um, and at the same time, a lot of young people don't have any inkling of what even that might be or what they might have interest in. Right. And so they, they are funneled into this generic, it's sort of just a continuation or a plateau of high school for a lot of students, um, but then incurring so much debt and still feeling this like lost feeling as their adult life starts ticking. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, like I say, I think that that sense of urgency and, and then really attention to the, to the, to the financial aspects of of post-secondary education and, you know, or gap year programs, or we'll talk about whatever it is we're doing, um, microcolleges, <laughs> um, that the financial aspect is something that is, 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 uh, you know, is pretty significant. Um, I think, uh, you know, so another, you know, resonance that I've seen with your work is, you know, you, you've called your program Place Core, right? And, you, and really a place, a focus on place and a kind of a deep attention to place-based education, which is certainly a value of ours as well. So maybe you could talk about, you know, how how did Place Corps come about and, and what are the places that you are engaging with there? Sure. Um, well, Place Corps came about um, as an idea actually between my two other colleagues and co-founders, um, Matt Stinchcomb, who um, was the former um, VP at Etsy, and also Martin Ping, who is the executive director of Hawthorne Valley. And it came about because at that time, 
um, Matthew had started what was called Good Work Institute, which had originally started as an Etsy.org and had a focus towards creating good work and good business and places. And um, so he had a fellowship that was really related to the Hudson Valley and this idea of good work. And he was invited into conversation with Martin Ping in their 12th grade class on economics. And the two of them were just having a similar conversation to the one we're having as far as, well, what happens to these students after this? You know, what is the trajectory for them? And is it really the right one? And are our institutions still byproducts of the industrial revolution and not really geared towards the education that's needed now? And also um, how are the young people like related to and connected to their places in meaningful ways. And um, I had been working with Matt in, at the Good Work Institute on various things. And so they brought me into this conversation and the idea of creating PlaceCore. At that time, um, it was really just a question and this question of what happens and how can we maybe be an intervention and also help young people to be in service to their places and understand that in a different way. So. Through that, we started to develop the idea um, and the project and we, what we, I think some of the founding principles really were that we realized that so much that we wanted to offer young people as far as learning is available. Um, it's not necessarily new information, but that the way in which people learn together is um, not always available in the way that we wanted to, which meant that we wanted to learn through doing in action and have um, sort of build life practices instead of just having theory. Um, we wanted to really embody that and have it be done over time together with a core group of um, young people so that they could have that community. So um, that was the beginning of thinking of it being a long project, like a full 10 year, I mean, 10 month program, as well as initially a fully residential program. And we considered the house as being the, the classroom and being the place that so much of the learning actually happens. And that it's the framing of experiences that helps us to understand something different as well. So we could, for example, imagine that just cleaning the house is cleaning the house. But if we are doing it in company, we have to figure out a system to do it together. Mm -hmm. And we also have to make decisions on what kind of products we're going to use, or if we're going to learn to make our own products, or all of these questions can start to become fodder for an incredibly rich learning experience. And um, so that, that really became um, the base. And our mission was to cultivate a calling to um, know, love, and serve our places. So we wanted to help the young people to start to identify their calling and how that was in service to place. And um, and that was like, a, a, it is a big and lofty goal. And I would say it's a lifetime goal because it's a process and you continue to continue to find and refine what that is. So we thought, okay, our students will graduate on the beginning the journey, but certainly not, you know, have found it necessarily right at that moment. Right. So what are the practical skills and the resources that we can equip them with to make that journey more successful? So that's when we started to really consider what were the practical skills, what were the resources. Um, and so we thought about a lot of the life skills that are kind of missing now from traditional education um, 
tools and wanted to make sure our students knew how to do those things. And so, for example, some of those things are designing and building and being equipped to understand like power tools and hand tools, um, having financial literacy, but also coupled with a new economy. So how might we also live and thrive in this current capitalistic society, but also start building new relationships to different economies. So that was a skill, um, co-governance. I gave that example of the household, but how to be in collaborative relationships, how to um, organize with each other and, and develop communication skills too, and shared leadership. So we just kind of went through like a big stack oh, cooking, you know, a big stack of like, what, what sure. does it take to be a, a healthy adult in this world, you know, um, let's put that into our program. And then, you know, place is, a, it is the, um, I would say that is the, let's see here, let's just think about the Institute, you know, it is the place of learning and living and being. Um, and we wanted to have the young people feel connected to place and a sense of belonging um, not necessarily strictly for retention um, of young people in place, but we did want to inspire the idea that you belong in however way that might be and that there's purpose for you in this place. And because sometimes young people feel like they have to go away to become themselves or to find the job that they want. Um, and so we wanted to inspire creators in their places. Um, and so and we also wanted the education that we were offering to be directly in relationship to the place. So, um, you know, also, I feel like I might be uh, expanding on your question here. <laughs> but, um, but we, um, you know, so we look at what are what is our curriculum offering and then we map it in place. So we look for who are the practitioners, what are the businesses, the organizations that are doing this work in the real real? And then how can we connect our students to practice and learn with them um, so that they not only develop that skill set, but they also have the visibility and the relationship afterwards. And visibility, I mean that they see it in their place, that they know it exists. So yeah. All right, I hope I answered that. <laughs> yeah, you answered that my question and a lot more there. So that that's good to, to pick up on. So I just, you know, to, to zero in on the specific places again. So I mean Hawthorne Valley, uh, for people who haven't heard of it, is you know one of the kind of premier like biodynamic uh, communities, biodynamic farms. There's a Waldorf school there, kind of a beautiful part of the world there in the Hudson Valley. Um, so that's one of the places that you kind of your origin place. And I know it sounds like you 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 still have a have a have an important connection. You bring students to that program fellows, your program participants to that place each year. Um, but the other place, I mean, kind of your, 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 what sounds like your home base now is, is Kingston, New York, um, with uh, where you're doing the Kingston Fellowship. So I wonder if, if you know, that, uh, could you describe the Kingston Fellowship and, and maybe start with a description of Kingston? What kind of place is Kingston? Sure. Um, so Kingston, New York is an hour and a half north of New York City along the Hudson River. Um, and it's a very vibrant, a very eclectic and diverse city. And um, it's also a majority of the demographic lives under the poverty line. Um, it's been a city that has been blighted by um, IBM, for example, as well as um, 
earlier in industries and extractive industries on the river. So it's had, it's been, it also was almost the state capital. So it has a very rich history that has been up and down, up and down, and has at times been a very built up and, um, you know, well-to-do city and then completely sort of falling down to the ashes. Um, so that is where we are currently. So I, I want to say too, we consider ourselves an organization that um, is the way where we say it. Um, we are just consider ourselves a Hudson Valley organization, um, but our Kingston Fellowship is in Kingston, New York. So it is based in Kingston, New York. And I say that specifically because it is in our vision to eventually have more place-based fellowships in the bioregion. Mm -hmm. And we do currently still run the programming of the Place Corps up at Hawthorne Valley Farm, which is in Ghent, New York. So Ghent, New York and Hawthorne Valley is a 45 minute distance between Kingston. And as you mentioned, an absolutely other world than Kingston, um, a bucolic country setting. I think Hawthorne Valley has 500 acres um, of farmland. It's a stunning campus um, that is rich with enterprise that is self-supporting in the Hawthorne Valley. So, you know, they have everything from a creamery and dairy to a K through 12 school program to, um, you know, science and ecology studies that are far more expansive than the, than the township and et cetera. So it's really a bustling little place far up in the country. And it's very stark in contrast to the environment in Kingston, New York, which is asphalt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you've, um, yeah. So describe the, the, the fellowship. So you, I think what's one of the things that, that I see that you're distinctively doing, you know, um, among the programs that we've talked about is, 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 not only are you place-based in your programming, but you really are are focused on the people, the young people of that place. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did you decide to do that? And and what is and what are these, what do the fellows do? Yeah. So I will share that our very first pilot year, which we did entirely up at Hawthorne Valley, that was open to um folks from all over the country. And we did receive um participants from all over the country. And we also had a larger scale of ages in that pilot year. So we had 18 to um, 28. And so when we made this iteration of the Place Corps Fellowship, we did two distinct things, well, three, I would say, because um, the environment was very different. So moving to an urban environment full-time, also um, shifting the age range to 18 to 21 and lowering it was a distinction. And then also putting, like you said, the focus on the local residents was a distinction. And um, yeah, and so I can say that we decided to lower the age range because we believe in um, you know, intergenerational learning, absolutely. However, what we recognized in our first cohort was that our two groups, I would say, because we were almost cut down the middle, even though they're one group, was right out of high school or alternative school. Some of them weren't had GEDs, and then um, right out of college. And they came to us with very different vocabularies, mm -hmm. literally vocabularies, as well as like skill sets. And so what we realized in that was that we just felt that we could have met both groups um, a little bit better had we had that opportunity to focus on where they were to stretch them to where they were. Um, so 
we made the decision to work with the younger range because one COVID, we recognized that that audience was in graver need than um, the slightly older audience. And that it feels like, back to our earlier conversation this morning, it feels like the more pressing in some ways age range of decision-making, you know, as far as like, what are your next steps? What are your interests? Are you going to college? Are you not? Are you working? Are you not? So it just felt like, um, a more critical group. So that's why we decided to focus on that age range. Um, and moving to the city, that was, you know, it was partially an invitation um, to consider it through another um, foundation who was interested in what we were doing. And it also aligned with our vision of having these place-based um, programs. And we feel that like, so when we had it at Hawthorne Valley, we were considering that as a template for place, knowing that people would be leaving. So we were like sharing all of those skills at the home um, and looking at, you know, the ecology of place as a potential to be seen and practiced in another place. But the opportunity to really make impact in the community felt part of our mission. So, that was how we decided to to really be focusing towards the people of place working within the people with the people of place and what we and I I feel very strongly about this still because what I've noticed in the last couple of years is a lot of inst larger institutions wanting to do community engaged um, learning but they're using like the communities of a place again like kind of how we were as a template for these other folks but there's real impact in place. And so it it just doesn't always sit right with me um, by comparison to really working in like deep relationship. And so we're really excited because this is our second, you know, we've been working on this for four years in Kingston, but it's really only our second fellowship year that we're going into. And the partners now that we have curricularly are dedicated to deep partnership. So, you know, we, we are working with like three year and four year timelines um, and really thinking about projects that have larger scopes and um, and then thinking about alumni and 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 it's it's in some ways it's it's place making too. Yeah. Place making. Yeah, that's an important word. Um, yeah, so so how many so you you've got you you're focused on you know 18 to 21 year olds. Um, can you describe the students you you who have participated in 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 your first year and now your second year? Yeah, sure. Um, I would say cut up a pie of diversity and as many kinds of shapes, and that would be our students. Um, <laughs> so in our first year um, in Kingston, we had students that all of them were actually high school graduates. It's not a requirement um, to participate in our program, but all of them were high school graduates. Um, we had, you know, immigrants from, you know, South America, as well as Europe. Um, we had multiple students who English wasn't their first language. Most, I think every one of our students, um, if they were going on to college, would be first generation for going on to college. 99%, um, I think only one of our students was not living below the poverty level. Um, they were, they all have different um, learning stuff so a lot of them had IEPs coming into us with IEPs um different gender choices 
you know, different religious backgrounds, sure. different ethnicities, races, all the things that um, were in the room. And it was so wonderful because like we're small, so we're able to offer individualized studies. So what we mean by that is just really individualized care. So when we're working on projects or learning, we can adapt to the students' interests and needs while still staying collective in the work, um, which is something you can't do in public school. And this is actually something that I would also um, raise a flag around because when people think about maybe even micro colleges or these efforts that we have in these um, these types of learning, is people want to scale and they're like, well, why you know why are you having only a small amount of students? This is so great. Why don't you have a million students? You know, <laughs> and if you have that, of course, but not. I would want to have a million classrooms then because the 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 way in which we can work like this, which is actually I feel like um, a model for community is being able to meet difference. And if you have that many people in a room, you cannot, you know, accommodate all of the differences and actually find meaning for each of them. So it's really important to stay small so that we can stay nimble and have and care for our students. And so with all of that diversity, we became a motley family. And I think that's the stuff that's so beautiful is that you start to feel comfortable with others that are not part of your normal everyday group, but you start to have that understanding because you start to be in this relationship and you like can accommodate each other and, and and not feel like it's also hurting you or anything like that so um yes we have a really diverse group and of course i i'm describing it in an idyllic way it's challenging like your <laughs> like family your family yeah it's it's really family a lot of like you know interpersonal conversations and your family so that's it's great though i mean it's it's been it's just such an amazing experience though when you do when you cross that threshold and i will say for us it usually happens around christmas but we start in the fall and everyone's kind of surviving and you're wondering like are we going to make it <laughs> and then <laughs> and then there's a threshold and everyone settles and it just starts to feel so good in the learning and the and being together on a daily basis so Beautiful. Yeah, lots of familiar experiences from what you're describing from, from, from our experiences <laughs> here. But I think what you're saying, I just want to underline, you know, there, there's an appropriate scale to things. And I think this applies to agriculture, right? There's, you know, care for the land on a small farm, care for animals is different than in a, you know, an industrial like CAFO or something like that. And it's the same with education, right? For care for the individual. And I think this this moment of 1821 is 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 important because it is the emergence of of individuality in important ways and, and people's like life purpose and their, you know, their, their sense of, of, of who they will be in their lives is uniquely intense at that period. Um, so I really resonate with that. Um, how, how large, how many students, how many participants are there in, in a cohort? Um, between eight and 12. Okay. Yeah. And um, also I will say that, you know, right now 12 would be our max and we would run our program with as little as five students, yeah. I believe. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty similar to our programs. Yeah, um, and um, and so this the, the the participants are not living together. Is that right? 
Right. So that was a distinction also between um, Hawthorne Valley and when we moved to Kingston. So currently with Kingston, it's a non-residential program. Um, so students are not living together with the exception of when we do the residency at Hawthorne Valley, which is a few weeks. And then we have a winter one as well. So we have those few pieces, but we did that. Um, we we were trying this because we wanted to also provide opportunity for the younger people to still stay employed and have work opportunities. Um, but we also recognize that in one hand, it may be easier for some students to participate without having to have residency. On the other hand, there are many students who need residency to be able to participate. So in my dream of dreams, um, we will start to have optional residency available for students. Um, we also ran into problems of homelessness last year, and that's very real for our demographic and our audience in Kingston, New York. And so, um, you know, again, back to that earlier conversation, when we look at these obstacles that the young people experience, especially young people of color and in poverty, there's like so many obstacles that are not their choices that are in the way. And so it's, it's been really interesting to, to see that with learning too, you know? Yeah. And that's, if that, that, that seems to be, um, as you, as you spoke about earlier, there's distinctive things you can learn by living together that you, that, you know, that are, they're important life skills as well. So that's, that does seem like an important, um, trade-off or, you know, there, there's things to balance there. Yeah. Um, you know, as as we started our conversation, and you in your your biography and and in your organization is really conscious about the financial structure of of education, and um, you know many um, you know gap year programs and in general like really innovative kind of immersive educational experiences are essentially like luxury goods. They're super expensive. Um, so I think one of the really radical things and, and amazing things that you guys are doing is how you're talking, thinking about money and, and your participants' participate, uh, relationship to, to, to PlaceCore financially. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about that and want that to continue to grow even further out for our fellows. So we were able to, um, again, find the support, the foundational support to help ensure that any participant who would come into place or could come into place core um, and have their financial needs met in the program. So at the same time, we recognize that not all students need full scholarship and we wanted to be modeling um, transparency of cost and also cost sharing so that we could be building an equitable cost model. So we have that is in effect. So we have some students paying into the program and other students completely tuition free. Um, and in addition to that, what we've done is because we teach financial literacy and also we want to make it possible for students to learn with as least like as little stress as possible during this time, um, we've created a monthly stipend to participate in the program, as well as a completion award. So our students receive $500 a month, and then if they make it to the end of the program, they receive an unrestricted grant of $4,000. And um, the thing that we do, because a lot of people will be like, well, how this is strange, like we would be paying into the program and then there's like going to be $10,000 coming, you know, being given to us. This is strange. But the way that we see it is that it's a material cash in our program is a materials cost. 
and you can't really learn financial literacy without it. And it would be like trying to learn to draw without having pens and paper and just sure. talking about drawing all day long. So for us, this gives us um, also an equal an equal base to have to talk about in class. So everyone gets $500 a month. Everyone can, you know, be honest about where it's going. There's, um, we can have the spreadsheets and work on budgets with it. Um, and it also gen it genuinely helps. So, and then the end, it's really wonderful because for a lot of our students, and I think many young people, they don't have savings and they're not going to be able to easily acquire savings even for that amount. So it gives them um, an opportunity to also have potentially a down payment for an apartment or a car or, you know, or put it into savings and invest, whatever it might be. It's something that can really help their next future steps. So, yeah. And, and honestly, that came about because when we were thinking about place core, and I, I hope and encourage all people who are thinking about starting anything, I just wish I had thought of it being more than that, because basically <laughs> it was really just an idea of being like, you know, sort of going, wouldn't it be great, you know? And that's all that that, you know, was. And so part of me is like, oh man, I, I wish I had sort of thought about it. Why not have it be a thousand dollars a month? <laughs> so um, yeah, that's what we're doing. And it is really helpful. Yeah. It's, it's a real like flipping of the paradigm in a way that that's really interesting. And uh yeah, I really I was enjoyed hearing about it. Um, yeah, so so during this, this is a ten month fellowship. Um, you spend little time out at, at Hawthorne Valley, um, but you know, what what other things are you doing? You know, with with these fellows during their time in in the in the program. Yeah, well, let me tell you, we're um, <laughs> just in the beginning of. Well, when, I would say the beginning. We're finalizing all of our sort of curriculum this fall and, and the partners and what we're doing. So I can just run you through a week, which is really a lot of fun. <laughs> so um, we're, we do four days a week um, of programming so that everyone has a long weekend. And um, so we start on Mondays and we will start in what we call homeroom. So we have a space that we're um, that's sort of built to be a home, um, even though it's non-residential, but we have a kitchen and sort of our working living room and, you know, that kind of vibes. And so we start there, our fellows, um, we have a morning sort of session and meeting, and then we break out. So we will have two fellows who are going to be the stewards for the lunch for the day. Um, and our fellows um, design and develop our food program and what they're going to be making. And then the other fellows break out into what we consider personal praxis on Monday mornings, which means that they have choice. So we introduce them to, we partner with a local ceramics studio, the YMCA, um, nature hikes. So also the wellness center. So personal praxis, we are really trying to develop, um, well, have them start to think about what are the practices that are creative that um, bring me wellness. So that's what they do for that morning. Then in the afternoons, we are working with a young, we're planning to work with a young artist who does a lot of zine work. Um, so they're going to be learning this year about alternative printing and working on creating either zines or calendars or, or even cookbooks that will be related to other projects. But part of the reason why we do this is in addition to the artistry of it, we are working on um, literacy. So building um, communications, um, visual, written, digital, um, 
all of those. And that's something that's where we've recognized as a significant need of the students in our area. So hmm. unfortunately, um, they're, they're, they leave um, the high school with a lot of lack in that department. So um, that's an exciting project that we're working on. And then moving into Tuesday, we work um, with, we do community volunteering in the morning. So we partner with different organizations, but this is this opportunity for our students to also have visibility of these different orgs in their communities, but also different work experiences. So they have professional direction from those folks in the community. Then we also, we have in the city, there's a community restaurant that's um, free and open to all the public as part of one of the organizations. So we're gonna have lunch, I think there. Then in the afternoons, um, we are, it's an alternation between working with the, the Center for Photography here this year around, we're gonna be doing some work on identity, but also photography and working with um, different artists in our place. Then also we are partnered with another um, farm that is a farm that is also a regenerative agriculture organic farm. And so we're gonna be doing a year long project with them where our fellows will be um, developing and designing urban food gardens and understanding food sovereignty in their place. So that's gonna be something that happens throughout the whole year and will culminate in a self-designed and built um, urban garden. And then on the next day on Wednesday, we are partnering with the Hudson River Maritime Museum in Kingston, New York. So we are, are going to be doing our design build with them in their boat building workshops and then also um, learning about history of place through the lens of the Hudson River, as well as climate solutions and ecology, because we're gonna be able to go on the sailboats down there. And like, right. also the fellows will be learning sailing and rowing. And that was a big thing too, because we learned in this past year that a lot of our fellows, while they lived here, they actually didn't have access or know even about um, the possibilities of the river for them. So this is a really exciting partnership. Um, and so our fellows will be learning and will build a boat by the end of the year, possibly two boats, as well as those other pieces. Um, and then on the next day, we're partnering with um, this civically engaged landscape design um, company where, um, and so we're gonna be working on, they're gonna learn how, this will feed into the project they do with the other farm, but they're gonna be building a community kitchen garden um, that's a uh, fully accessible ADA and language justice kitchen garden. So they'll be um, doing that in the mornings and then in the afternoons we come back and we work more on our like interpersonal and like comms and things like that. So that's that's like how our fall semester is headed. Yeah. Um, I'm excited. And then, you know, we have we have these big projects throughout the year we have and in the, that kitchen the um food sovereignty one also relates to learning about like we partner with the city so we also do a lot of like data and mapping and looking at um you know just statistics and things like this too in our city and getting involved in community council work and activism and then also um I don't know, there's just like so many things because we also do a place story. So oral histories and, and thinking about whose voices are in storytelling are being told. And there's also going to be some that we do entrepreneurship. So we do a formal class um, that's through a partnership with the college so our students can get some credit. And then also we do it through the work we're talking about with the urban um, garden as well. So, you know, it's going to be fun. 
<laughs> action packed. Yeah, a lot, a lot of, lot of things there. Very action packed, and we also do a lot of excursions because, um, while it is place based, most of our fellows don't have transportation. A lot of them haven't left the city very much in their lives. So we, um, and this is stuff that is also guided and directed by their interests. So we will plan. Um, excursions and outings that are related to what they want to see more and what they want to learn more. And um, in addition to some of the great things that we know about in our area. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you for that. That That's, that's a really detailed summary of, of lots of interesting. Well, I'm so excited. So I had to go. Into <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, you know, of course this time we're speaking to, to you all, whenever you're listening to this, this is, this is late August and uh, for an educator, this is always the the planning time of the year. It's all you know, all the exciting things that we're, we're expecting to do. So, um, yeah, we're we're coming up um, sort of the end of our time here, Don. And I guess I'm wondering if you can talk about um, maybe as a final question, um, you know, what what do you maybe you have some indications from your first group? Like what what do your what are your um, fellows doing, and what do you hope they will be doing after doing this program? Are they staying yeah. where they are? Are they going off to college, or you know, what is there? Is there kind of a vision of what you in your in your dreams you would like to have them do? Well, in my dreams, mm -hmm. um, I hope that they feel empowered to keep finding like their. Let me put I'm tongue tied here. But in my dreams, I want them to feel empowered to follow their curiosity. So I don't know exactly where that will lead, and I hope that they feel the confidence that they would find the, the support they needed in any of those directions. Um, in this past year, our first one in Kingston, 70% um, of the fellows were accepted into college and had financial support to do that. And the other ones went in, one went into the Carpenters Union and one went into a regenerative farm. So that was where they're headed. That said, I've recently been texting some of them to kind of be like, are you there? <laughs> did, you, you know, did, you, did you go? Um, and I am not sure that they're all actually going to go on those paths, even though, you know, we got them there. But, you know, we'll see. And I think, again, my, my dream is that people feel empowered to keep seeking and, um, you know, keep feeling that they can ask for support to get to where they want to go. In our first cohort, it was really interesting also division of where people ended up because now we have a lot more time. So I can see that two of them have become chefs in um, local farm to table restaurants. One is a community organizer. One runs um, a climate climate um, solutions fellowship, um, not locally though. And um, one went into um, environmental grad school and is now working at the EPA. Um, one went into outdoor education. So, All over. Yeah. you know, I think, and I, I kind of think that's gonna, oh, and one's an urban designer, but I would say that all of them have also maintained a lot of creative practices. Um, yeah, I think really, again, also what I said about following curiosity, um, being kind and compassionate people that have interest in their community. You know, I don't mind if anyone stays as like, you know, as a clerk at a grocery store. I think it's more important that you feel good about yourself and that you can feed yourself and that you feel good about your community and your place. Yeah, that's, I think, question about, you know, scale, right? Why don't we have a million of these or like what, 
you know, what what is good, good is it to educate you know five or eight or twelve people in the in the size of the world? Um, but certainly from 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 my experience as a teacher, high school teacher, and then here at Thoreau College, like the people who've had the these experiences, like they have an outsized impact of where they are, right? They really are you know um, catalysts in their communities, and I think the idea of that what you're doing there of really seeding you know a larger than average number of group of people in one particular place is very interesting, and, and it'd be you know, a good longitudinal study of like 50 or 60 years, right? Would show like, what is the impact of that? It might be pretty dramatic. Well, I think so too. And then also coupled with the projects, right? So it's like the individuals and what will they take from it into their future, but then also the actual work that is being built and stewarded by the community members now. And I think about this past year and our fellows had the opportunity to be a part of designing a commons for the city. So this greenway. So once that's built, that's going to be part of their foreverness, you know, it, it, foreverness is a big word, but, um, you know, they'll be able to really see that and steward that. So I think that's another part of this model that I'm excited about in the future is how, yeah, both the individual effects, but then these large, like these common effects that will be shared for, for others. Yeah, we know that a traditional college, state university, something like that, these are major like drivers of in, in the communities that they're located of, of economic development and of, of the arts and of just all kinds of useful things. And I think, uh, you know, small projects like this as well can, can, can have that impact and in really direct ways. So, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I want to thank you so much, Dawn, for your time today, for sharing your story and, and for your work. Um, and I really encourage everyone to, to check out the PlaceCore, placecore.org and um, some great videos there. And just um, we'll be following your, your ongoing development very closely. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jacob. Thank you so much. Such a great conversation. Have a good day. Yeah, you too.